And so I wanted to read it with you this morning and again, just unwrap it again afresh this year, because it really is, as Jesus is, he's the gift that keeps on giving. It says this in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and then we'll pray. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and his peace will never end. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for family, Lord, by your blood uniting us together as the family of God. And, and we see that family is so important. We get opportunities, seasons like this, to be able to gather together and, uh, Lord, to love on each other, to appreciate each other. And we love doing that at church as well. And we just thank you that it's by your blood or that you've knit us together, made us the family of God that we not only have something to appreciate today, but Lord, we have something to look forward to for all eternity. God, you are truly the gift that keeps on giving. And Lord, help us to appreciate and love you even more today and even more than when we came in. And Lord, help us to, like we, we say sometimes, I love you more than yesterday, but less than I'll love you tomorrow. And may that love in all of our lives continue to grow as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many like receiving gifts? Christmas is coming tomorrow. You like receiving it. People, you like to receive gifts? Yeah. And you think about the, the different gifts that, that we get. There's the gift for gift, right? Somebody gives you a gift and you give them a gift. You ever feel like when somebody shows up at your house, and they bring something and you panic. We didn't get, we didn't get them anything, honey. And you wrap a candle that your wife, that you've already lit and you go, just cut the wick off. They'll never know. And it's funny, we, but we feel this when somebody gives us a gift, like we got to give something back. In return, then there's the re-gift, right? Somebody gives you something, it's brand new, you appreciate it, but then you re-gift it. And God help us that we don't re-gift it back to the person that gave it to hey, I think I gave that to you. Oh, did you? It's ah. Or the on-sale gift. And when it's returned, you learn how little you're worth. It's, oh, that was 12 bucks. It was on the sale rack. And so you're stuck with it. But the gifts have a way of sending a message and they reveal worth or the value of the person, not just receiving it, but the person who's giving it. And this morning, as we, we look at Isaiah, I can't help but remind you this morning of your value and your worth to God. I think about that at Christmas time, and it's just so fitting. John 3.16 could probably be a great verse that we would think about and celebrate even at Christmas time, where it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him Will not perish but have eternal life and that god loves you and he has a gift for you and as larry was praying in worship that if you've never received christ as your savior and lord that you would open up your heart to him the beauty of that gift is a gift think about a gift for a second what can you do with a gift you can really do one of two things you can receive that gift or you can reject that gift there's really no middle ground and salvation is a gift. You cannot earn it. And we definitely don't deserve it. But God offers it to us, to all who would receive him, the Bible says, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. What a gift. Christmas is such a reminder of what God has done for us and the price ultimately that he paid. So as I look at Isaiah 9, 6 here, it's considered the fifth gospel because uh, all four of the gospels quote Isaiah and it goes all the way back to the fourth century where they believe that Isaiah was the fifth gospel. Matter of fact, when Jesus began to teach, it's the very first book you remember that he read from. 
Isaiah chapter 61, we quote it in Luke chapter 4. I'll read this to you in verses 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And it's always interesting to me when I, I, I think about that moment in time, because when someone read in the synagogue, they just did it by lot. So they would just, you never knew what passage that you were going to read, and they took turns. So it just so happens on the Saturday that Jesus was there in the synagogue, and he was reading the text, that the text that just so happened he was reading was there from Isaiah chapter 61, and it really talking about his ministry and what he would do when he came into this world that he has given and he continues to give gifts today. Oftentimes we talk about salvation as it's like this one-time deal, and it, and it is in the sense of being saved, but the, the Lord is a Savior. He continually saves us. He continually gets us out of jams. He continually helps us and supports us and leads us and guides us. We talk about it every week that the beauty of, in the sense that you're here today and we study the Word of God, is that His Word is a it's a lamp to our path. It's a light before us that God uses to illuminate where he desires that we go. And as we walk with him, he makes that path known and he reveals himself to us. And at Christmas time for me, when I think about Jesus being a savior, there's not a day that goes by that I don't recognize my need for a savior. And I hope that you do too. We need a savior. And, and the thing that's important to me and the thing that as I was praying about this week is really it's twofold. To experience the, the peace of God, and you think about this, to experience the peace of God, you first have to experience peace with God. And that's what Jesus came for. He came to make it possible that we could experience peace with God. And there's probably some that are here today, and, and you're alienated from God. And, and it's hard to accept this as fact, but that you actually, what the Bible says, are an enemy of God. The Bible says he who makes himself a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we do that by our choosing, but it's not God's heart. His desire, his heart for me and you is that we would love him and that we would get to know him and that we would understand that he has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. I have this vantage point from here. I get to look out and I see a bunch of wonderful looking people, but we're all different. We're all unique. And the fact that God can live in you and he can make himself known to you and that he can use your life that would add value to life, the life that you live, to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to complete strangers. God wants to continually gift us. It's not just that it was that first Christmas morning, but what a gift it is that we have in Jesus. And you think about ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we've been living behind enemies, enemy lines. It's like a thriller of an action movie, and we need to be rescued. We were rescued once and for all, again, from our sin because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. But it's a process every day. We think of the word sanctification, that God is working in our lives. So we have a God that we can draw close to, draws close to us. When I think about in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, look at the phrases within this and just how powerful. No wonder so many people that at Christmas time send this verse out in Christmas cards, they know the meaning and the magnitude of it and the hope that people would understand it. And, and as a pastor, there's times when I'll stand here and I'm thinking, I was sharing with our staff this week that, as and Larry mentioned it, and I hadn't even talked to Larry about it, was that 
we feel like at times that we need to come up with something new, right? That we've got to, okay, they've heard this story before. But the beauty of, of the message of Christ is that it never gets old. It never, ever gets old. And we, even though we'll say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We could spend our whole life, you know, reading this over. And every time we do, we get a different perspective. We go to a different depth, a different level. And it has a lot, like Lonnie said, because you know more the longer you walk with him and then you begin to see things differently. And it's the beauty of that God's word is living, right? And that it's active. It's so sad when you meet people, I read the Bible. You go, oh, but are you reading the Bible? Because again, it's not so much that you're reading the Bible. And I get why people don't want to read the Bible, right? Because it's a book that not only do you read it, what does it do? It reads you, right? Yeah, it reveals our heart and our intentions. And so it's powerful. But look at this with me, just to hopefully encourage you as you go into your Christmas of things that maybe we just forget over time. Maybe we've read this verse a thousand times, but God would just prick our heart and our conscience afresh today to remind us that Jesus really is. And it's not a cliche, the gift that keeps on giving. Look at verse six says, a child is born. That's from the vantage point of earth. The incarnation, you could say, is Jesus, is, is it's the earth's perspective of Jesus being born. But Isaiah is revealing to us that this Messiah coming in the world is a as a baby, as a child, we just would assume that Jesus, when he came into the world, that he'd probably come in as an adult, like Adam, when he was created, he wasn't a baby, that he was just full grown. But there was something about Jesus being born as a baby, coming into this world, that he could identify with us on every single level, every single age throughout the course of time, taking on the form of man. I like what David Guzik writes in his commentary on Isaiah. He says, for unto us a child is born. He said, this glorious prophecy of the birth of the Messiah reminds Israel that the victory bringing Messiah would be a man. He said, theoretically, the Messiah could have been an angel or the Messiah could have been God himself without humanity. But in reality, neither of those options would have qualified the Messiah to be our savior and our high priest as Jesus was. The child had to be born. What an amazing mystery. There's nothing more weak, more helpless, more dependent than a child. And again, theoretically, the Messiah could have come, like I said, as a, a full grown man, created as an adult, even as Adam was. But for Jesus to fully identify with humanity and display his life, the servant nature that is in God, God made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. We see that in Philippians 2.7. I like what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 2.9, it says, what we do see is Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. You could say this, Jesus became a man in order to save us. Made a little lower than the angels, his incarnation is what qualified him to become our kinsman redeemer. He had to become like us so that we might become like him. Not that we would become gods, but that we could become with him, you might say. And Colossians 1.21 puts it like this, it says, this includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him 
by your evil thoughts and actions. Then verse 22 goes on, it says, but yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault, all because he took your place, he took my place upon the cross. When he was born into this world as a man, as a human being, and it continues on, it says, and for a child is born, it says, to us, it's personal. And my question for all of us today, have you opened your heart to him? Have you truly received the gift? There's a difference between believing about who Jesus is and receiving Christ as your personal Savior and the Lord of your life. And we'll talk about the government being upon his shoulders. Have you relinquished the government of your own life? Most of us have seen tracks throughout the, the years that you had a throne, and it was who's seated on that throne? Is Jesus seated on that throne? Or are you seated on that throne? And again, it, it, just as salvation is a gift to us, you giving your, your heart to God is your gift to him as well. Can't think of a better gift to offer the Lord at Christmas time for all of us, regardless of whether this is the first time or afresh of just reaffirming your love and your dedication to him. Most of us would probably be honest if we'd said, hey, it's easy to drift through the course of a year. We get busy with life and all these other things. It never changes God's love for you. And so again, as we look at this to us, it's mentioned twice here in this verse after stating that a child was born and a son was given. Like I said, it's personal. Jesus is God's gift to the world for salvation. I always love that Max Licato card I share with you almost every year. And it says this, it says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. Had our greatest need been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. That's what Christmas is all about. We were alienated from God. It's, we make it about a baby in a manger, and we somehow the church has integrated Santa Claus into the Christmas story and everything else. But without Christ, there is no Christmas. Like I said, I, I understand in the world today to try to just bring it to the place that we say, happy holidays. And I love how we have this opportunity as believers to say, yes, happy holidays. And you know why it's happy is because is Jesus puts the Mary in Christmas. And, 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 and that's not to be argumentative. It's not to try to be caustic in any way. It's just to put things into perspective that Jesus is the reason, not just for the Christmas season, but Jesus is the reason for every season. Amen. And to live our lives that way, that again, and it's so sad. Again, I mentioned what you know Larry said. Unfortunately, this can happen at Christmas. We call him that CEO believer, it's Christmas and Easter only. And you go, God doesn't want a relationship with us to be an obligation. It's a love story. I think that he would leave heaven and earth I, to wrap our minds around what Christmas is all about, that God himself stepped into time and took on human flesh. And he had to. And, and we think about that, that. And I love this quote, it says, Jesus became a child of man so that we could become children of God. I read another quote just recently. It says, Jesus took our place so that we could go to his place. And that's why verse six goes on. It says, and a son is given to us. A son is given. And you think about that. Jesus is God's gift to the world. 
John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And again, I like what David Guzik had written. He said, a son given to us said, this child would be a man, but more than a man. He is also the eternal son of God, the second person of the Godhead. Theoretically, the Messiah didn't have to be God. Think about that. He didn't have to be God. He could have been a sinless angel or merely a perfect man like Adam. But in reality, neither of those options would have qualified the Messiah to be our Savior and our high priest as Jesus was. The Son had to be given. And that's exactly what the Father did. For God so loved this world, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would receive him. And again, it's personal. It's not corporate in that respect. The Son of God and God the Son. Isaiah 9, 6 here, it's declaring both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. A lot of people accept Jesus, right? You can talk to other religions. Oh, I think Jesus was a good man, right? In, in human history, he was a good teacher. Oh, he was a great, he actually was a great moral teacher. Matter of fact, some religions believe that Jesus was a prophet, right? But yet they can't accept the fact that Jesus is God. And that's exactly who he is, God, God in the flesh. And Isaiah would tell us 740 years in advance that God's only son, his only one and only son would be born into this world. And again, why? To satisfy the wrath of God against you and I, to make a way where we could come to God, where we could know not just, again, the peace with God, but that we could know the peace of God. And of all the things that just jumped off the page this year as I was reading through all the stories of, of, of Christmas and you know, the birth of Jesus, and you think about that here it's peace. He wants us to experience peace. And you look at the world today and you go, are we experiencing it? And you go, no. The world's probably in more chaos today than probably we've ever known in our lifetime. So you go, what could he possibly mean? Is that just an error in scripture? Is God wrong about that? And you go, no, what he's talking about is personal peace, personal, because it's intimate. It's between you and God that you can experience the peace of God in your life by you know, coming to God and making peace with God through Jesus Christ, accepting what Christ has done for you on Calvary's cross. See, only Jesus could satisfy the penalty for sin, provide the forgiveness that we so desperately need. Jesus had to be without sin in order for him to be an acceptable sacrifice. If only human, Jesus couldn't have been the Lamb of God, right? To take away the sin of the world for the simple fact that a sinner can't remove the sin of another sinner. But Jesus was without sin, perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice, the only one without sin. We needed God himself to come and rescue us. And guess what? He did. That's what Christmas is all about. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 puts it like this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. You take away Jesus' deity, you take away Jesus' sinlessness, and 
if you take away Jesus' sinlessness, then you take away his ability to save us. Does that make sense? Yeah, he, God had to come himself. He could send no other. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 puts it like this. I'm only going to read verses 1 and 2. He says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. He says, now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. So simply put here, and the Bible makes clear that Jesus is God's final word. People are looking around, they're going, hey, what is God doing in the world today? What is he going to send someone? Is he going to do something? And you go, he's already done it. He did it once and for all. Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross. He died a vicarious death upon that cross. He took my place. He took your place there. That we then, because of what he has accomplished for us, that we have now access into a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is one that you can enjoy daily. Some people, again, you might enjoy it on a Sunday. You might enjoy it on a Sunday and a Wednesday. You might enjoy it throughout the course of the week. You might enjoy it once a year. You go, but you can enjoy it. it it's up to you as to the degree that you really want to enjoy that relationship. But he wants a relationship with you. He has a desire. He created you with a plan. He created you with a purpose. And I think about what Jesus has done. He's the only one that could meet the requirements to be the promised Messiah. And yet there's all these people in the world looking at, is there someone else? Is there someone else? Even people that have come to Christ at some point in their life, they go, I tried Christ, but there's got to be more. And you go, no, there's no more. There's no one. It's Jesus or nothing. And for some people that's so hard because they think, ah, it can't be. There has to be something more. John 8. 23 and 24, Jesus put it like this. He says, speaking of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the religious leaders of his day, who knew the Bible, right? And were the, the teachers. And he says, you are from below. He says, I am from above. He says, you belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Jesus was making it perfectly clear. If you don't believe that he is the I am, one of the many names that were given to God, he said that basically the dilemma that you're going to have here, you're going to die in your sins. There is only one name, church. There's only one name that's given under heaven by which men must be saved. And it's the name Jesus Christ. It isn't God grading on a scale. It's not, hey, I'll, I'll try to do better. I'll try to be enough. The Bible is perfectly clear in this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. He says, but the free gift of God, Christmas is the celebration that there's a gift that's come from heaven to us. And again, not to mince words with it, that unless we receive that gift, we too will die in our sins. And no one has to. That's what's so sad about it. Jesus came that we ha might have life and that we might have life abundantly. And again, you have to answer that question within your own heart as I have to answer it within mine. Have I made peace with God? Because if you've made peace with God, then the natural outgrowth, the fruit of that is the peace of God. Are you at peace today? I guess I could put it this way. If you were to die today, God forbid, because your presents are going to be here tomorrow. But if you died today, are you ready? Are you at peace? Are you going, I'm good? I'm good.
I love when I, when I, and most of the time when I'm talking to somebody that's in that place, guess where they're at? They're in a hospital and they'll, I go, Hey, you know what? I'm here. And I just want to ask her, are you good? Are you ready to go? And I've had many believers, many in this church. Nope. I am not ready. And I appreciate the honesty in that because the beauty of it is we can all get right. The Bible says if we would confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He's not your enemy. He's your savior. And he would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to pray and then to get that lifted, right? To have that, the government being lifted off your shoulders. See, when you're the captain of your own salvation, when you're the guy leading the charge, steering the ship, so to speak, there's a lot of pressure in there. But man, to let go and to let God. And that's the invitation at Christmas is to let go and to let God, to come to him. And again, for some of us, you did it before, but you took back the reins. You pushed Jesus out of the chair. And he's a gentleman, he got up. But it, his desire is that we would call upon the name of the Lord, that we would believe on him, and that there would be no shame in that. He had no shame in dying for you. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The point being in all this, Jesus wasn't divine, then Jesus would be disqualified to be the savior of the world. He was a good teacher, yes. He was more than a good teacher. He was a prophet, yes. But he's God, God in the flesh, God the Son, God the second person in the Godhead. I love this one, it says the government will rest on his shoulders Again, Jesus didn't come into the world as a political figure. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, he said, I would fight, right? We're fighting more today than we did when Jesus was walking on this earth. No, he says his kingdom is coming, right? And we can begin to practice as well, not corporately, we're not going to see it happen, but individually in our lives as we allow him to be the king of my life, the savior of my soul. And I go, okay, Lord, you're the one who calls the shots and we look to him. And again, that burden is lifted. I'll tell you, do you remember what it was like when that burden was lifted in your life, when you were in charge of everything and it just probably wasn't going the direction that you'd like it to go. Maybe that's where you're at today. You go, man, I, I, I get where you're coming from, Pastor Mike. I've been trying to be the captain of my own ship for a long time and, and it's not going the direction that I'd hope it go. It's like the song, let Jesus take the wheel. Amen. And you can do that today. I can't think of a, a greater gift to receive at Christmas time. It's not just your salvation, but the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life to come to that place and go, God, I want you to lead my life. I love John 18, 36 and 37. Jesus answered, he said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, he said, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and I came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Yeah. The government will rest upon his shoulders. See, that's still Isaiah. You think under King Ahaz and you think about what was taking place in Isaiah's day. The Assyrians were about to come into, into literally carry them away into captivity. It was a very dark time. Now Isaiah's looking forward to a time that Jesus is going to be born. Who was in rule when Jesus was born? 
The Romans were in power and, the, and the, there was no freedom. There was no peace. It was the Pax Romana, right? Peace by decree, meaning the Romans just said, hey, if you don't need to do what we say to do, we'll pound you like salt into the earth. So there was peace, but there was no freedom within it. There was no inner peace. And yet we read that in scripture all the time. Here's the Bible telling us peace. God, when's he going to establish his peace? Corporately, he's going to establish it in the millennial kingdom, right? At the second coming, when Jesus sets foot on this earth, the Bible tells us he's going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, right? He will sit on his throne and he will rule for a thousand years and there'll be peace like this world has never known. If you're born during that time and think about it in, in the animal kingdom, right? It says children will handle snakes, right? And they won't be bitten and snakes won't have to fear little kids grabbing them and yanking their head off. It's just going to be a, a wonderful time. The lion will lie down with the lamb. It's just peace like we have never known in the world before. Will be experienced what? When Jesus establishes his kingdom. So you go, so what could he possibly have meant? Talking about peace, that we can have peace now. And you go, personally, you can have peace today with God. You can make peace with God through Jesus Christ. And when you make peace with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says that to you, not to the world, Jesus said, the peace that I give you is a peace that the world knows not of. And you know, I, I go to hospitals and I'm there with people who are dying. They might have cancer. They've got some terminal illness. They're getting ready to meet Jesus face to face and they're completely at peace. They're doing more ministry to the staff and to their family than anybody can even do to them because they're at perfect peace. You can't fake that. But that's what happens when you have made peace with God. He says, Jesus said himself, he said, my peace I give to you. And he wants to give that to you. I can't think of a greater gift. If you're here today and you go, man, Pastor Mike, I'm just anxious about all these things. You go, man, what does scripture tell us to do? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. Pray to God, right? And it says, then the peace of God that surpasses knowledge will fill your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful understanding. I love what Gail Irwin, what he writes about the government that God promises, both ultimately and even right now. And this is what he said. He goes, what might such a government look like when it says the government shall be upon his shoulders? You think about, we look at our government today. I, I could ask you by a show of hands, but it would be unanimous. I said, do you think our government in the United States today is messed up? I don't care what party affiliation, it is messed up. As long as you got men in charge, that could be women too. Women might not mess it up as much, but behind every good man's a great woman, right? But you look at this and you go, it, it's, it's a problem. But I love what he says. He says, first of all, this is what it would look like. It would look like it's king. Politicians of this day look for what they can get from you. Jesus looks for what he can do for you. There's a difference, right? Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounds us with his servanthood. Leaders of this day use their power to build their empire. Jesus uses his power to wash our feet and to make us clean. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money. God so loved the world that what? He gave. Yeah. Generals of this day need regular wars to keep their weapons and their skills up to date and ensure their own advancement. Jesus brings peace and rest to our hearts. The higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible he becomes. Yet Jesus was our Emmanuel, 
God with us. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and to be heard. Jesus sought anonymity so that he could be useful. Obviously, Jesus is not in charge of the halls of Washington or London or Moscow or Baghdad or Paris or Bonn. So how can we ever believe that the government will be upon his shoulders? He says, actually, his government shows its workings in wonderful ways. He said, whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or wine or alcohol abuse, I threw wine in there, and is restored to his family and work, as I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know that I'm watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyous, joyfully praising him, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers and simply go and share the good news of Jesus, I know that they're governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock that's given to them, I know they're getting their signals from a great king. And when I see people leave family to live and to teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard the gospel, I know that they're governed by God. Yeah. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And we're living under that kingship. What a difference it makes in the world. And to that, and I appreciate when we were thinking about elections and things like that, you go, why is it important to have Christians that are serving in government for this very reason? Because they understand that the government truly is on God's shoulders and the burden is here, is his. I, I love what it says in Isaiah 9, 6, going back to that, it says he will be called wonderful there. And you think about that as speaking of the character of God and he'll be called wonderful counselor. And some of your Bibles, it has wonderful comma counselor, and some of it is wonderful counselor. Either way, it works. He's wonderful in and of himself, right? But he's also a wonderful counselor. Best counselor you could ever have. We're starting our new counseling ministry here at Calvary Chapel and being able to meet with people that have gone through very specific things in life and have been, been really put you with someone else who's gone through those same challenges in life and be able to get counsel from the Word of God. It's a wonderful thing. But we have a counselor in Jesus, amen? that he's there with us. He's your Emmanuel. He's right there with you. And he's alive. He's live in you. And you can talk to him and he talks to you through his word. I think of that word counselor there. And I think about the Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. His counsel is perfect. Amen. How can a young man cleanse his way? The Bible says by taking heed according to what? Your word. Yeah. Just when you, and so we always think, man, who, I need to call somebody and I need to talk to him about this. And you go, man, call upon the name of the Lord. That, that's what he's saying. Call upon the, he's the wonderful counselor. And he would love to hear from you. I, I think of that Christmas card received many years ago. And it, it said, it had the picture of the three wise men on the front. And then you opened it up and it says, wise men still seek him. And it's so true. And it's in wise women as well. And the part of why you're here today, again, it's the holidays. You can be home, you can be with family, but there's something in us that drives us to seek him. And may God impart that wisdom that we all desperately need as we come to him. And just know this, and I think about it at Christmas time, the gift that keeps on giving, you know, to think for a second here that the gift of Jesus in your life is that your past, think about this, your past can be forgiven, right? Completely forgiven. And that your present today can be managed 
and your future completely guaranteed. That's what Isaiah 9, 6 draws out for us. Your past can be forgiven, your present can be managed, and your future can be secure because of Jesus Christ. Like I said, Isaiah wasn't just looking at his day. He wasn't just looking at when Jesus would be born into the world. He was looking all the way through to the millennial kingdom when Jesus would be ruling from this earth and the government would truly be upon his shoulders. And I, and I love that when, you, when you're able to see that and draw that. Verse 6 again says, mighty God. You know, he's not just wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He doesn't just instruct us, but he gives us the power. Aren't you glad for that? That Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father you'll receive not many days from now. Because when you do, he said, that what? That power would become a, upon you. You'd have power. We have power to live a victorious life in Christ. You might go, oh, I just can't do it. I can't do it. No, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. You can do everything that God is calling you to do because he provides everything for you to do it. You don't have to do anything in your own strength, your own power, your own knowledge. You can do everything through Christ, everything that you will ever face. Because why? Because nothing is too difficult for him. Amen? Such a great reminder at Christmas time. Like I said, I just love going through these verses here. And then think about, this might throw some people off. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And then what's the next one? Everlasting Father. You go, Jesus is going to be called the Everlasting Father. Yes, even though each, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are distinct in their personality, they are one in essence here. I like what John 14, 9 says. It says, Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? But really, the thought here you know, is that Jesus is the Father of eternity. That, that's the concept. Father, by definition, is the originator or the source. And Jesus is the originator. He is the source of eternal life. It's found in him. And so you look at that and he says, and then in verse six, he says, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And this is the key here, prince of peace. Of all the things that, man, I could want for you going into this next year is that your heart would be at peace, that you'd be at peace with God and that every day of your life, no matter what the circumstances you go through, no matter what you face in this life, no matter the hardships that you'll have to endure, Jesus didn't say that coming to him was going to remove all those things in your life. You're going to go through very difficult things. Uh, every week in this church, somebody is dealing with cancer. Somebody's dealing with some form of illness, somebody, some type of disease that needs to be treated. And the beauty of it is when you're at peace with God, to be able to pray for them. Just as Jesus said to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed and was going to the cross, he said, let not your heart be troubled. He says, if you believe in God, believe in me also. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not. He goes, I will send the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, he will be with you and he'll be in you. The parakletos, what? The comforter, that we could have peace. Yes, you're going to go through difficult things and you can go it alone if you want. And you can pop pills all day long and you can drink stuff. And I had my in there, but I just let it go. And, but you can do whatever, you can self-medicate whatever you need to do. You go, or you can rely upon the peace of God. That's a gift. It's a gift to us. And I hope this Christmas that afresh today that you're reminded of that. In verse 27 of John 14, he says, 
I'm leaving you, Jesus said, with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Could you use that today? All you got to do is ask. It's a gift. He says, and the peace I give to you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Why? Because Jesus is the one who makes peace for us. When you go to Jesus as your high priest, you go, man, I, I, I messed up, right? And what does Jesus do? He looks to the Father and, and he goes, they're mine. You have an advocate, John says. We have an advocate. He says, I write these things to you, little children, that you would not sin. But when you sin, know this, you have an advocate. You have an attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, who pleads your case and shed his blood so that you can know the forgiveness of sin. Romans 5, 10, 11 puts it like this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. For a slave doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've told you all things. All you got to do is open up the word of God. Let him speak to you. Romans 5.1 puts it like this. Therefore, since we have been made right, I love that. You don't make yourself right. I don't, people tell us all the time, right? You go, Pastor Mike, I, I'm going to come to church as soon as I clean up my act. I just got to get a few things fixed. What are the chances? Slim to none. The beauty of it is come as you are, right? And what does Jesus promise to do? He will clean up your act. Greater is he who's in you than he is in this world, right? It says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And then in verse 7 there, and his government and its peace will never end. It'll never end. Once that starts in your life, it never ends. You can feel distant, you can feel whatever, but his government, it says, and its peace will never end. I like what Acts 1, 6 says, when it says, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? And what was Jesus telling them? Time will be coming when he comes back. And they, again, as he went up into heaven, it says, men of Galilee, why do you gaze up into the heavens? This Jesus who's going up will come back in like manner, right? And so corporately, the government will be on his, his shoulders when he returns. But until then, how do we experience the peace of God and how do we experience his rule? And it's individually, one by one. That's why you can look around and you go, man, why is that person that's so much at peace? Why is there so much joy in their life and all the things that they're going through? You go, what do they know that I don't know? And maybe what they know is the Prince of Peace. Maybe they know Jesus in a very personal way in their life. Again, coming to church will make you a Christian as much as going to a donut shop will make you a Kern County Sheriff. Because I'm not going to say police because Moses is here and he's with the Bakersfield PD. So I'll say Kern County Sheriff, right? Okay. Yeah. No, it's, so it's not coming to church. It's coming to Christ. There's an, it's a personal relationship, a personal invitation from God. And again, I hope that you know that today. One of the things that I, as I was reading this week, and one of the last things I want to share with you here, it says in ancient times, I don't even know where I got this. So I don't know who to quote, but it's not mine. I got it from somewhere. It says in ancient times, governance was considered a burden to be borne on the shoulder of a monarch. 
They understood the responsibility. If you're going to rule, you have to bear the weight of responsibility for the decisions you make. And they considered it to be a burden. It's a burden for the king that wears or the governor who, what they wear in the sense of uh, the burden of authority. It says, now we live in a day and age when the government wants to put the burden on us. But they saw the burden on them in those days, and it was symbolically represented by the robe that the king wore. They would wear the robe on the shoulders to signify the burden that the, of government resting upon the shoulders of the monarch. And yet, verse 7 reminds us when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, it's going to get better with time. That's the thing, the gift that just keeps on getting. Every day we move away from the fall when Jesus establishes his kingdom, it will get better and better and better and better and better. And as Lonnie well said, the same thing now can happen in our lives individually. The longer you walk with him and the longer that you allow the government of your life to be on Jesus' shoulders and not your own, the greater peace you'll enjoy in this life. And it's such a, a wonderful truth. Again, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I think about Christmas time for us, the, the great reminder is that it's a choice that we get to make today. It won't be a choice then. Every knee will bow. One day, the whole world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. But unfortunately, on that day when they recognize it, it'll be too late. But it's not too late today. And so really the, the gift of Christmas as we walk through Isaiah 9, and I just, like I said, just touch the surface of it and hope that it'll cause you to want to go home and dig deeper into it and really to understand God's love for you, his plan for you, that God's in control. God made a way for us to come home to him that we can be with him forever. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in worry in your life any longer. Just to know that God's in control, that everything that's happening on this planet, whether we understand it or not, that he is sovereign. He is the sovereign king. And he's allowing things to take place with the ultimate hope that what? It would bring us to him, that it would draw us to him. And you see what's so sad because as we go through difficult things in life, you, like me, you probably watched people that went through hard things and when they were going through that hard thing, they cursed God and they literally walked away from God. And then you saw other people who were going through the same types of difficulties and it was driving them to their knees where they were calling upon the name of the Lord. And you were then seeing the difference. The person who found peace because they made peace with God and they experienced the peace of God. And then that person who's at war with God because they don't agree with God and they don't understand God. Instead of coming to him and saying, Lord, I don't understand. But thank you and, and understanding and faith. I know that you love me and I know that you'll see me through. And again, that person enjoys a greater, obviously, quality of life, no matter what the circumstances that they're facing in life, whether they're healthy, whether they're not, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're educated, whether they're not. Man, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. Amen. Don't miss it this Christmas. Yeah, I hope you come back tonight. It's a wonderful, these guys have worked so hard in, in putting together this Christmas program tonight, we'll be in a little bit of the word just talking about the light that we find in Christ, that he came into the world to give us light, to illuminate our lives, to illuminate a path, to make sense of things. And you'll find that in, in this life, and I know it as talking with believers and non-believers, and when you're walking with Jesus and you're walking in the word, even the things, the difficult things that we go through, 
start to make more sense, don't they? Even the difficult days in which we live in, we see God's hand and we see that Jesus said, all these things are going to happen, but the end is not yet, but it's coming, right? And so with anticipation, not fear, but anticipation, we pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen, establish your kingdom, that perfect peace on earth, it's coming. And the key is we can enjoy it in part now. We see dimly, darkly, but then face to face. So again, I'll invite you to stand to your feet and invite the worship team to come up and we'll send you out with song. Pray that the Lord blesses your Christmas. Can't think of a, a better gift today if you're here and you've yet to receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you can receive that gift today. You can simply right where you're at, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and you're a Savior. And I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into this world to die for me. And I open my heart to you and I receive you. And you can understand this, if you would make that your prayer today, God would hear that prayer. You would be saved today. And the great news that comes with it is you can invite and then say, Lord, now fill me with your spirit, that I might know your peace, that I might know your presence, that I might know your joy. And I can't think of a better Christmas gift than that. And that is truly a gift that will keep on giving. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to open your word and to think upon it, to meditate upon it, to be thankful for it again, that God, you saw the, where the world was and you saw the position the world was in and you didn't stand by idly, but Lord, that you came to rescue us. You came in human flesh, that deity was clothed with humanity, that Lord, you never ceased to be God, but Lord, you took on human flesh so that God, you could save us, Lord. And Father, we thank you for that. The mystery, Lord, of our salvation that's made known and revealed to us in Christ. May we appreciate that like never before this Christmas. We have so much to be thankful for because of Jesus, Lord. That it's not about possessions. It's about people, God. It's not about things, Lord. It's about a relationship with you and one another that we can enjoy. May your peace fill not just our hearts, but may your peace fill our homes this Christmas, God. May the people who walk in sense your peace and your presence, Lord, because you're there, because, Lord, you're in us. And, Father, thank you. We love you. We bless you. We give you all the praise and the glory as we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, And we all agreed saying amen. 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 God bless you as you go, and hopefully we'll see you at, at 5 tonight, 5 p.m., right back here in our sanctuary. And if we don't, have a wonderful Christmas.
The latest and best of the songs of the monkey. God bless you guys. Hope to see you tonight.